0: My name is Josh Alvarez and I'm Liam O'Donnell and you're listening to episode 141, one for one of Cinepunks.
1: Well, that's <laughs> Shout a good, out to
0: New Jersey hardcore band. That was a good one, Jersey, for one hardcore the reference. Yeah, 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 I yeah. know. I know. It's a good one. It's a good one. So yeah, episode 141, we are joined today by our beautiful guest, Mr. Justin Liberty, who picked the movies that we're watching for this episode.
2: What's
3: up, no. Justin? Hello.
2: How's it going? <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I'm
3: good. I'm ready to talk about movies.
2: I know. I'm excited. Uh, Justin picked 1997's Drive. Well, and all, these are both 1997 movies, right? Drive and uh, why does the my brain just shut down?
0: Double Team. And Double Team.
2: Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Now, Josh, you were telling me you were familiar with Double Team before watching for this episode. Is that true?
0: Oddly enough, Yes. Only because in 1997, right, like, yeah, I was already in college and I remember like prior to that I was a little bit of a basketball fan. I don't know if that's a if that's a matter of public record just because, you know, Joey's been a corpsman since way back when, you know what I'm saying? But it was like one of those things, like right before I got into hardcore, I was like, you know, I really like David Robinson in the San Antonio Spurs and I like watching basketball a lot. And then, you know, I got a tape. It had Fugazi on one side and had Morrissey Kill Uncle on the other side. And that just ruined all of sports spectatorship for me. But in 1997, I was in college. I was like, oh, a movie with Dennis Rodman because he was on yeah. the Detroit Pistons and he was on the Chicago Bulls. You know what I mean? And I, I mean, it, it touched my radar. Plus, unlike you, Liam, I'm a JCVD fan.
2: I know. Always I know. was. I'm going to have to. Ben had uh, Ben. I, I got to out myself on this episode as not a JCVD fan. Though I it, I say that I've watched a lot of his movies. I mean, one of my earliest f- film memories is watching Time Cop
0: and the the kitchen scene where he does the split being like, the what split. the fuck?
2: Yeah, oh Yeah. Genius totally.
0: is what that was. Yeah, if you're wondering what the fuck that was, the answer to that question is motherfucking genius <laughs> is what that was so uh for <laughs> uh, i'm assuming
2: a lot of our listeners already know but for those of you who don't know justin Liberty uh works at vinegar syndrome and the uh, uh affiliates company what's the name of the company uh the sort of like affiliate program of people you work with at vinegar syndrome again justin
3: um, so I'm the current, the director of operations for OCN distribution. Yeah. That's our like, sister company.
2: OCN. Yeah. So you're doing like all the distribution for these, uh, other labels that also are sort of part of the drops when you do with vinegar syndrome and stuff. I know like, uh, there, uh, what are some of the companies as part of that?
3: So, um, the, you know, the, the first one we brought on was Agfa, which everybody yeah. knows Yeah, 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 yeah. and then we've got Utopia's on there. Um, mm. We just launched Terror Vision this sure, month, yeah. so there's there's a bunch. We're we're up to you know like a dozen of them now. So there's there's a lot.
2: Have you found that um, vinegar syndrome? Like, because in my experience, vinegar syndrome has a very uh, intense built-in fan base of people. Have people been excited to check out these partner labels?
3: Yeah, I mean that was kind of the whole drive of doing it. Yes, yeah. we realized people were into it and it gave us a reason or like at least more of a, a push to kind of broaden our horizons. And I came in with like a film programming background and a lot of experience with kind of foreign films and art house films and things that weren't necessarily horror. And, you know, a lot of vinegar syndromes kind of, bread and butter is like horror movies, exploitation, classic porn. And I came in with like an interest in that stuff, but also a much more kind of broad range of of cinema. And this has given me a chance to kind of really branch out and bring in more art house movies and things that don't necessarily fall into kind of genre cinema buckets or do and expand what that might be.
2: I love I love that so much and I feel you on the – it's interesting because I know that that's true that Vinegar Syndrome's known for horror. But some of my favorite releases have been something like Rad or like uh, uh, Beastmaster, like things that to me don't feel like horror in the obvious sense. But I still think of as like interesting film things that I want to have. You know, ju- they're genre I guess but they're not what I would think of as horror Just, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. No, definitely. I mean a lot of my favorite titles – that we've put out aren't horror at all and Mm -hmm. just the horror, you know, sells the best and people love it. And I love horror too, just like anybody else. But I think at some point you kind of have to acknowledge that there's more out there Mm -hmm. and also kind of lead people to discovering things they wouldn't otherwise seek out. And that's Mm kind of where I come in right now.
2: Do you have any? I don't, you don't have to drop the, you know, line on anything that hasn't been announced yet, but do you have any favorite releases that you want to hype up to people, like to make sure they check
1: out?
3: Um, for old releases, I mean, the one that I always, you know, try and get people to check out from Vinegar Syndrome is the double feature of MMA and yes. Home Brother Charles. Yeah, So, which are two incredible films from Jamal Fanaka, who is a member of the LA Rebellion. And, you know, that's, it's just like a really kind of precious set to me of, Mm -hmm. of these films that were not really championed the way they should have been when they came out. And he also did Penitentiary and Penitentiary 2, which we've also Mm -hmm. released. And then I I really like to champion A a Woman's Torment by Roberta Finlay, which is a really great kind of entry point into the classic adult cinema. It has an R-rated version on the disc too which is arguably a better movie than the hardcore one. So I think that's like a really good kind of comparison, but it's also just a great film. Uh, The lead Mm -hmm. performance is amazing and it, it fits in with a lot of the kind of psycho horror movies of the, of the seventies, this like character breakdowns, movies like inserts. It's really similar to something like that or symptoms. So I really love uh, those MMA welcome home, brother Charles and a woman's torment or ones that I always point people to that aren't kind of the obvious targets.
2: I, I want to make two cross references really quick. One is they recently discussed a women's tournament on one of our uh, family of shows, Twitch of the Death Nerve. Uh, shout out to the folks over there, especially Sam yeah, friend of the show, Sam Deegan. We love her; she's the best. Um, and I, you know, I discovered MMA because of you because I came up for. One of your – so uh, for the listeners who don't know, Justin used to program at the Alamo and Yonkers. And I came up for – was that – I don't even know what it was. But you should, M- MMA was, I think, one of the films that you programmed, right? I don't know yeah, what that um, event was.
3: Yeah, it was part of one of the the Cinema Apocalypse events. Yes, it was just like yes, 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 yes. a show where I played all these, these prints from like AGVA, from American Genre Film Archive. And I played a bunch of, of their prints for a day and it was – Really fun to just kind of bring in a bunch of things that I wouldn't be able to just kind of show on their own.
2: Was one of those uh, Yes, Madam as well? Did that play as well? Yes.
3: Yep. yep.
2: We I, Josh. We just uh, covered that. Yeah, yeah, we just covered it on the show. And uh, not only do I want to thank you for that, Josh does as well because he would not have seen that movie if I had not watched it because of you.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable movie.
2: Yeah. Josh, we, we got to do an episode where we do Welcome Home Brother Charles and MMA because MMA has become – I don't, you know, I I don't know if people consider uh, L.A. Rebellion movies part of black exploitation or not. It doesn't really matter to me. I I don't know if that matters, but of of that era of films, it, it's become one of my favorites. And uh, when I moved out here to Chicago, uh, our mutual friend uh, Adriana Gober bought me that release from Vinegar Syndrome. I don't know if she bought it or or if she just had it, but she gave it to me. It's like a going away present, and it made me very happy. I have watched it I've never seen times.
0: either of those movies. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh bro, them.
2: you would love. It. You would love MMA so much. It's like right up your fucking alley. Like I yeah. I
0: can't wait to watch it and talk uh, talk to you about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 100% down. It's funny. Did I ever tell you my history of vinegar syndrome? No, let's hear it. I was uh, at in Boston. I was in Boston a bunch of years ago for some horror and rock festival. <laughs> And that was the first time I met. Um, I forget. There it was a gentleman with with beautiful long hair, <laughs> and I met them because they had a table. And they were like, "Oh, hey, you're the guy from Cinepunks." And me and Melani were like, "Yeah." And and they introduced themselves, and it was the the and you don't day.
2: remember their name.
0: I know it's so fucked up, but I do remember that the first night of that festival. The reason we were there, um, my friend of the show, Mike McTernan, um he got us into the festival because Danzig was playing. And so was Soulfly. And Melani loves Soulfly and I love Danzig. So we're like psyched. And then we got there. And then, um, you know, that was also the same day that I met Adam Caesar for the first time because he was signing books.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: It was, uh, it was a hell of a day. But then the next day was a juggalo day and it was all insane clown posse offshoot bands. And not the insane clown posse, so it was all like twisted and like bands like that. Like it was a wild time in Boston, but the horror festival was pretty fun too. And that's when I met the vinegar syndrome dudes, whose names I don't remember because I'm such a good friend.
2: You're the you're literally the worst. The worst, literally, literally literally the worst. But yes. also everyone loves you. I hope you know that. Everyone loves you. I just even can't as you forget their fucking names. Okay. Uh <laughs> Justin, we're so glad you're on the show. Uh before we get into our first segment, the name of which I will not reveal yet, uh we really quick want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. Uh you make this episode and all the episodes of this podcast and a whole family of podcasts possible. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, Check us out. uh, Patreon.com backslash CinePunks. That's C-I-N-E P-O-N-X. Josh, who else do we want to thank uh, for supporting this episode?
0: We want to thank our friends at the Lehigh Valley apparel creations. LVAC, xlvacx.com. That would be our friend Chris Reject, who is has been a stalwart companion through our journey of podcasting and revelry. And um, if you have a band, if you have a Dungeons and Dragons role playing club, if you have a, a club of breakfasters um, and you need logoed material, you can go to xlvacx.com and they will print whatever it is that your group n- or, or you, whatever you want. That's what they'll do. Um, and if you go and you let them know that Cinepunk sent you, um, Reject will probably make fun of you, probably.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say. I was like, "Ooh, is he about to say cut a deal? Because that's not gonna happen." But he will be no, very not nice. a thing. Yeah, and you know, he will that'll be make nice. Us and he'll probably
0: make fun of you at yeah. least for Liam. Yeah, that's. But fair. he loves he'll, me. So, well, that's yeah.
2: true. You could bond. Whoever's listening, bond with him about how much I suck because he will love that. He will really love that. Uh, maybe you could make fun of me for liking turnstile. That seems to be his. <laughs> His favorite thing to make fun of right now okay uh I, we also want to thank our friends over at essex coffee roasters our friend aaron dalbeck uh from bain and recently signed to revelation records uh group be well uh you know congrats to everyone and be well um aaron has this company essex coffee roasters that's literally about getting you the customer uh the highest quality coffee roasted to order so it's Really fresh, uh, and taking away some of the mystery around quality coffee. Uh head to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. You can pick up your single origin or blend coffee there. You can pick up some teas, uh, fine teas mm-hmm. there. You can also pick up some teas as in t-shirts, uh, yeah, and hoodies and all merch. kinds of stuff. Yeah, all kinds of merch. <laughs> and then on your way out, you're gonna want to put in the code C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X for 10% off. Now look. Uh, you might be thinking, I already get my coffee somewhere. Liam, I don't need your coffee. I like the Dunkin' Donut stuff. Shut the fuck up. That's not what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to go to Axis Coffee Roasters. You're going to order that coffee. Why? Because it's great coffee. And because you love Aaron. And because you love us. So go do it. 10% <laughs> off. We love you. Okay, that's good. We got that out of the way. Justin. Hey, done and done now is the time when we do the only regular segment we have other than the fact that we talk about movies. It's the only thing we do, but we always forget the name of it. Every episode, we can't remember what it's called.
0: 141 times. We never know. It's What's always it? like a surprise. It's like... I mean, maybe we should write it down, Liam.
2: No, that doesn't sound like us. Uh, <laughs> it's like Woody and Booty. Is that it?
0: Um, Heck, On My Back, maybe? Yeah.
2: Junk in the trunk? Was that it? No, that doesn't Something sound like right.
0: it. No. Yeah. No, it's called Whack it on, on track. track. Yo, s- screaming that into a microphone sounds so dope because I but feel was, like you know it
2: was so loud. I feel like we I, I don't know. I don't it might be too loud. There's some
0: adjustments that may have to be made. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. It's I'm okay. Sorry. I'm new okay. to this. Yo, I mean I'm gonna put that on my on track file. That I got, I got the H6 working and a microphone set up with a boom stand, like a real podcaster.
2: I know. Yeah, I, know. I you're, know. You're really kicking it up a notch. You're a real professional.
0: It only took us eight years, Liam.
2: Yeah. No, that's a reasonable amount
0: of time to accomplish any goal. <laughs> <laughs> on track. Became a podcaster. Go on, Liam. What have you got? Well, remember Justin, actually, wait, is wait, our wait, guest. Justin, come on. Justin, would you like to go first, middle, or last? Describing things that you've done recently that are whack,
3: bad, and or on track. Good. I have no idea what to do, so somebody else should go first. <laughs> all
2: right, all right. I'll I'll lead the way. I'll lead the charge on this one. Uh I even you know, I had a little bit of time, so I even made notes because people will know that I always get to this. Thing that we do every single episode, and then I'm like, what have I done even? I don't even know what to talk about. <laughs> um I watched a little movie that we discussed last episode, but we only discussed it in the sense that you had seen it. And that's Candyman. I watched Candyman. Mm. Uh I liked it a lot. I really, I really liked it. I get some of the more reasonable criticisms of it, like maybe that parts of it are a little repetitive or it's not as scary as the original. I understand all those criticisms but i think i liked it overall josh i remember you liked it a lot as well or were you kind of mixed mm-hmm. on no i loved it i thought it was okay. great
0: okay justin
2: have you seen Candyman? what did you think of Candyman?
3: yeah i did not like it
2: oh wow talk to us about that i want to hear why
3: i mean i i also love the original like it's one of my you. all-time favorite horror movies like hands down probably in like my top 10 horror movies so i i went in with some pretty high expectations but also I really like Mia DaCosta. I like, you know, what she's doing. I was really excited to see her take on it. And, you know, Jordan Peele's affiliations, kind of whatever, like, he's, you know, he didn't make the movie, so I don't really care. But I don't know, I I was excited. I was was curious to see, like, a totally different take on it. I was curious to see what they would do with it in our current social political climate. And it just kind of missed the mark for me. It felt very like, it felt like it was kind of spoon-feeding a lot of the politics to people. I thought it was really, you know, a little too on the nose, the climax. I don't want to spoil it for, you know, no, people who yes, have seen I it. I agree, yeah. I thought some of it was just, it felt very kind of surface level. Like, I didn't really get, you know, with, with the original, the gentrification is, is something that we didn't really see a lot of in horror movies, especially, you know, like horror movies of the early 90s. You didn't really get, a lot of that kind of political element, you know, people under the stairs kind of goes into it. But for the most part, outside of you know something like Tales from the Hood, politics were pretty removed from kind of the forefront of horror in the '90s. So Candyman, I think, is this like really special movie that has, you know, is, is kind of didactic in how it approaches what it's talking about. And this one now just feels like it's it's too little, too late almost. I feel like mm-hmm. Candyman, the original is better at talking about kind of the perils of gentrification and you know using Chicago as a location I think is is really important and the original candyman it's like Chicago's a character in that movie and I didn't feel that way about this one I felt like it could have taken place anywhere
2: hmm that's interesting I I didn't feel that way and uh specifically because I live here now and in fact it's it's a little weird because um I kind of am sad that part of the reality of Chicago is a lot of the most memorable things in the original Candyman, like not all, but some of the most memorable things, they don't exist anymore. So like I couldn't do a Candyman tour. Like you couldn't do, you could do like some scenes, but like some of the uh, places that you would want to see like don't exist anymore. So this one felt a little more real to me in the sense of like, I've been seeing these places recently and so I was doing the, the fucking uh, meme of like pointing at the screen a little bit like, oh, oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, yeah, look at that. And in fact, I even had this weird experience. Uh, the idea that like the where Cabrini Green was is like very much fancy buildings now. I had this experience with my wife driving through Chicago and I had no idea where I was. And I, I'm next to this beautiful building and I look over and I see the buildings that still remain, you know, what's left of the the single family home stuff. And I was like Oh my God! That we're here, we're at the spot, and Susan's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "This is where Capri Green used to be. That's the building. That's a. It's gonna be in the movie." And she just was like, "Oh, okay." Like it was, it meant nothing to her. <laughs> Susan doesn't care. Yeah. Well, I okay. mean, you know, she cares about the historical stuff, but Candyman the movie, she doesn't care about. Anyways, um, so that part, I I will say, I I I liked it overall. I think, especially for me, with how it ends, I do wonder. My first thought was that was that was maybe too on the nose but I still kind of liked it but as time has gone on I'm wondering especially with like the way that it wraps up and again I don't want to spoil it for anyone but in my opinion I'm not convinced that ending is going to sit well with me over time so in the moment I thought uh Okay, I guess, okay. And then the more I've thought about it, I'm like, I don't know if I like that ending or not. I'm not sure. Uh, and, you know, on just a on a pure fan level, uh, I do kind of wish it was more upsetting. There's just something about mm. that original Candyman that gets under my skin even now that this one didn't have. Um that I kind of wish it managed to get to I, I don't know it's there's I think this will be a movie that will be fun to discuss in depth when time has passed enough that I don't feel bad getting into the ending right now. It's like mm. not enough people have seen it. I just feel like, I mean, you can always do a spoiler warning and we're not super sensitive about spoilers on their show, but it's so fresh that I'm like, I don't want to risk ruining it for anyone. But I think maybe in like a year and a half, two years, I'll mm-hmm. want to do an episode where we like talk about it. Cause I, I just don't know that all of it worked, but I but I liked how it looked a lot and I liked some of the performances in it. Um, I don't know. It was I, I was a little more mixed, I think, than you were, Josh, but I mm. but I don't think I disliked it either. Um, okay, let me keep going with my list so we're not here all night. Uh the other thing I saw that people can read a review that I wrote about is uh The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um I go into a little more depth in the in the review, but basically I think there's a lot of stuff that kind of works in the movie. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm really into uh, Jessica Chastain's performance, but then I rewatched the documentary of the same name that the movie's based on. And she doesn't quite get to Tammy Faye, but I don't know if she could have. In fact, I don't know if I would even want to watch a movie where she did the full Tammy Faye voice the whole time because <laughs> that's actually – that could be a lot, actually. But suffice it to say, I still think the performance is really great, uh, but I, I have a lot of questions about the sorts of things that they included and the sorts of things that they left out. And, and I kind of feel like if you're already sort of fictionalizing these people's lives and kind of making entertainment out of the things that went well for them and the things that went wrong for them, then we shouldn't be afraid to show all of that. And I felt like they really soft peddled what happened with Jessica Hahn um, and really just made it out like he had an affair, which is, you know, his part of the story and not what he was accused of doing. So um, I just think that is a weird decision to have made. But it, it is what it is. So, you know, I, I think some people are going to love it and some people are going to just – it's just not going to connect with them. But for me, I, I just think I felt at first like it was pretty good and then over time I was like, I don't know. I just wish they had included more of those details just because if not, I don't know. It. I don't, anyways, I don't know. what I, I don't know how to – like I said, read my review. I get into it in a little more detail there. Yeah. Um, I also finished uh, the latest season of Sex Education, which just came out, so that'll give people an idea of, like, how hard I binged it, because I really did. Uh, But me and Suze love that show, and I thought this season was great. Uh, I also want to specifically thank friend of the show, uh, Adriana Gober. She has been sort of, I wouldn't say pushing, but definitely encouraging me to give the newer X-Men comics a chance. So I finally did, and... I'm really into it. I'm really into it. I'm not caught up to current stuff, but I'm getting there and it's been really awesome. And I haven't read anything superhero for years and years and years. So this is like a kind of a weird nostalgia thing for me, but I'm into it. I think it's going to be great. I'm excited about it. And then the last note musically, um, a lot of new hardcore came out that I haven't had a chance to digest yet. Uh, and partly I haven't had time to just digest it because I've been listening to the new, uh, Lil Nas X record, And while I don't think I love all of it, a lot of it I really, really like. Um, Some of the singles that came out ahead of time I already knew, but there's definitely some newer tracks on there that I hadn't heard before that I think are really great. I don't know that I would say the whole record is on track, uh, but a lot of it is on track. So that's me and my, you know, corny pop bag but whatever <laughs> it is what it is man I, I i i've i've loved him for a long time i i was slow to to get on board than other people but i i just think he's great nice uh justin you want to go next or you want josh to go
3: yeah sure i'll go um i don't know i've been i i consume so much stuff on a weekly sure, basis sure but it's it's kind of hard to to really get into it but the thing I've been spending a lot of time with the past week is uh, Deathloop for PS5. I don't know if either of you are gamers, but
1: oh, I've been eagerly no, awaiting
3: that, and it's it's pretty fantastic. It's As far as storytelling goes, I think it's the most like inventive storytelling I've experienced in, in a long time, so... It basically, I feel like does what Tenet wishes it could have succeeded. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm pretty like immersed in that. That's kind of eating up a lot of my free time.
2: I was going to say, how much time is that? Like, I I feel like, especially for someone whose job seems like uh, a lot of intensive stuff, like, you know, whether you're uh, watching a lot of things or, you know, doing whatever it's, it feels time consuming. How do you, do you find a lot of time to game it's i don't know that that's one of my major barriers to you know i used to do it when i was younger and i stopped and now when people ask me like oh how come you don't play video games anymore i'm always worried it's gonna eat up my time do you still find time to like put in the time you want to the game
3: yeah i mean it's obviously game dependent you know it's sure it's hard for me with some of these like 100 hour rpgs like it just seems so daunting but a game like Deathloop, it's like, you know, the total game's probably like fifteen hours or something. So if I put in a few weekends, it's not bad. You know, it's just like that's less movies I'm gonna watch in a week, which is fine because I've already watched like almost seven hundred movies this year. So it's Whoa, like I don't really wow. I don't well really need to keep so. watching movies. I think I can, you know, take a break for a bit and play a game. So it's yeah, it also is just kinda nice to have like a breather and consume something that's entirely different than what I'm doing on a daily basis mm-hmm. for work.
2: I mean, I think that's what's different, right? Is that your job is doing something that a lot of people do leisurely. And I I feel like, I mean, I'm sure you do from what I can tell on the internet, you do still watch movies for fun as well, but I could see wanting some way to get away from that. If it's like all your time.
3: A hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's the thing is I love watching movies. I love it more than, you know, most anything else in my life, but There's days where it's like, I'm watching stuff at work. I'm QCing stuff at work. I'm like really intently like just, you know, watching stuff. So sometimes it's like, I want to be a little bit more active and it's not like I'm an athlete. You know, I'm not going to go and like play sports or something, but sometimes like playing a video game is kind of like an active thing for me to participate in, to like be an engaged participant in something that I'm doing.
2: I love that. I love that.
3: But, um, you know, movies like one of the more recent movies I really liked was uh, The Voyeurs on Amazon, which I feel like is, is kind of getting a bad rap. And I like it a lot. It's a total throwback to like 90s erotic thrillers. It's really fun. I'm kind of obsessed with like voyeurism movies. I'm actually teaching a class. In uh, December for the Miskatonic Institute about like voyeurism in genre cinema from you know That's so cool. Yeah, that's so. Awesome. So the, the Voyeurs came out at like the perfect time for me to be a little obsessed with it, and I think it's really fun. It's just like a clever, kind of trashy thriller, the the types that you don't really see get made anymore, unless mm. you know. I guess you have like Fifty Shades of Grey or something, but it's garbage. This is like legitimately fun and is clearly made by people who like the genre. So. I recommend it. I think people should check it out. And it's, you know, it's not great, but it's, it's a very, you know, entertaining, like hundred minutes.
2: Do you feel like that specific kind of nineties thriller is a genre or I don't know if I would call it a genre, but you know, a kind of movie that doesn't seem to exist anymore. Like I can't remember the last like sexy thriller that people were talking about.
3: No, I don't think it does exist anymore. You know, it's, I think the last, like, great kind of studio erotic thriller to me is In the Cut from the early 2000s. Right, the, the yeah, John yeah, Campion yeah, movie, yeah. Which is, like, fantastic. And then they don't make money. You know, outside of, like, Fifty Shades of Grey, we never had, like, a basic instinct in the 2000s. Sure. But there's nothing really of that magnitude. And I think everybody, even fans of the books, agree that Fifty Shades of Grey movies are terrible. So it's not like you know, studios were like, oh, we need to like recreate this and start making more of them. We didn't really have, you know, like a basic instinct or disclosure or fatal attraction or anything really in the 2000s. Even Adrian Lyme was making movies. I mean, he made Unfaithful, which was like a decent success, but it's not like that was kind of an a, an in vogue type of thing. But I think when you have, you know, sexual material has become so much more readily accessible than, or readily accessible and explicit than it was in the early nineties or late eighties when these movies were kind of all the rage. So, you know, I think with internet porn and whatever else, you know, people are using to kind of fill that void in their lives. I think the erotic thriller kind of just lessened in popularity. Hmm. Hmm.
2: I, I think that, I think that's really true. Hmm. Now I'm going to be thinking about, and I've said to Josh before, Uh, You know, I kind of want to do, like, a 90s erotic thriller episode just because uh, some of those movies were, like, really important to me at the time, and I don't know that all of them – I mean, when you hear them – at least when I hear them talked about, it's people who I know who like that specifically, but if you're just into movies – it's not always clear that people pick up basic instinct, like "Oh, I, I was too young to catch this. What is this?" or "Oh, I missed this," you know, when this was a thing. Um, but that was a huge, that was a cultural moment that I don't know that unless you are into, you know, Verhoeven, I don't know that people talk about it as much. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. It's worth thinking about, Josh, if you are into that. Yeah, I watch it. I am down. Cool, Justin. You got anything else you want to talk about?
3: Um, I guess, you know, for music, there's, I think this year has been relatively weak for movies. I think it's been like a bad movie year, but I think for music, it's been like incredible. I think a lot of people, you know, kind of were stuck at home last year and really like dipped into creativity as much as they could. And there's been like amazing albums that have come out because of that. And also, I guess bands are starting to tour again. So, you know, there's maybe like this sort of stockpile of music that people didn't want to release over the past year until they were ready to tour. So like the new turnstile record is great. Um, yeah, we've talked then, about
2: that on the show a couple times. It's
3: mm-hmm. it's great. And then like the new carcass album is amazing, which I didn't expect. You know, I, I liked their last album a lot, but I thought this one like that really Surgical pushed them Steel into it. was
0: amazing. I thought that yeah, record it's, it's was great. fantastic. Yeah, it's
3: great. that record's amazing and this new one Torn Arteries is it's weird because it's it sounds like Carcass but it also sounds like, you know, carcass getting older, which is like really sure, nice to yeah. see in, in metal, is like you can tell that
1: mm.
3: they're recognizing that they have to kind of slow down a bit while also still being, you know, as extreme as they can be. And I really like that. It's almost like gentle carcass, which is is a contradiction. <laughs> but um I
2: mean, yeah, it's, I've really I mean, appreciated it's the, Is it how is it different than heartwork then? Heartwork feels like gentle carcass to me.
3: It's it's similar to Heartwork, but it it feels a little bit more kind of reserved. And it's sure, it's a shorter yeah. album. Oh. And okay. I really, yeah, I, I like how how almost you know delicate I guess it is. But it's, it's if you saw it live, I mean it would shred. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to kind of see what they and, do with it, you know, when when I feel like going back to shows again. Of,
2: but, of all those older bands that reunited, Carcass was one of my favorites because a lot of the recordings, like the earlier recordings, are are cool, but you know they're lo-fi in in a way that I didn't appreciate. Maybe all the intricacies of some of the songwriting. So then, seeing an older, more mature carcass play stuff off of like "Reach of Putrification and be like. Oh, this song isn't just heavy. Like, there's a lot fucking going on here that maybe I missed on the recordings that I had of this shit. Like, I love that. I I just I they were just one of those bands that like not all older bands, but a lot of older bands I've seen live have disappointed. And Carcass, I was like, this is better than I could have expected. And then the record was good. The new record was good too. So when they were like, we got a new one, I wasn't like, oh fuck it. It was like, I'm in for the whole show. It's just I I got to see them a couple times. Uh, at, at after uh, the what is the name of the record again? The last one, the steel one, Surgical, Surgical Steel. steel. Yeah. Surgical Steel. I got to see them a few times. Uh, right before Surgical Steel came out, and then twice after it came out. And every time, I was just like, "How is Karkis still this fucking good? It's just unbelievable it's so that yeah, yeah.
0: so good. Love that band. Awesome. Damn.
2: All right, Josh, what do you got for us? I've been busy. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, I don't want to take up too much time before we jump into these movies anyway. But if, if you've been busy, you've been busy. But I mean, I will say on track is that you've got a new job. That's great.
0: <laughs> on track. So it's been wild. I got switched to day shift at the casino. So I was like, oh sweet. Now I can resume normal life. And then I end up getting another job in general. And just like, okay, so now I'm gonna be working at uh the removery tattoo laser removal spot downtown. It's an 18th and Chestnut with Mike DC. I'll be working with Mike DC I and Robbie Redcheeks. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So that's pretty cool. But, like, dude, like, okay, so, like, all week has been getting this fucking dead guy screening that's happening tomorrow together. And there are people been people will be
2: listening to this after the screening, but hopefully right. you went and had a good time. I hope if you're listening, hopefully to this right you now, went you had and a had
0: good a good time and, and watched the, the documentary and then asked questions of the Q&A. That means Sharky are going to be running. Um, but just getting it all together, like having the like we had a DJ drop out that we had. First of all, can we talk for a minute, Liam, about like, oh, hey, you guys are putting a screen together. How do you feel about an after party? <laughs> it's like it's the it's like the Mitch Hedberg joke of like, oh, you tell jokes, huh? How do you feel about writing scripts? Like that kind of like like they're two separate things, man. But it's I mean, cool. It's, like
2: we got I I don't think an after party in and of itself is a bad idea. I just think it's funny that they thought you booking and running an after party that that was definitely something you would be good at. You know what I mean? Like they just were like, well, none of us want to do it. So you're in charge of the after party. And I remember when you first told me, I thought, Josh, is it
0: really a book in a party kind of guy? I mean, I've booked shows and parties are different. I think. I don't know. It's cool, though. It's all come together. We've got friend of the show, Ryan Gratz, uh, Mr. Grazi Versace coming to DJ save the day. So that's going to be a, it's it's hopefully by the time you've heard this, it'll be a thing of legend. Like, yo, you remember yeah, that time we watched yeah, the Dead Guy yeah. movie? And then, like, someone hung from, like, a, a chandelier and, like, I don't know, there was drugs everywhere and, like, I don't know, liquor. It's cool. I mean, like, hopefully
2: after after, hopefully at the after party, Tim Singer will light something on fire and then that will be the best <laughs> night of everyone's <laughs> life.
0: It'll be wild. But uh, on Friday, I went to the Met on North Broad Street and I saw Jim Gaffigan. and uh, oh, okay. And I saw Jim Gaffigan. That was hilarious. I don't know what your thoughts are on Jim Gaffigan. I I know some people find him to be very wholesome and therefore not very funny. I think that man's fucking hysterical. And the show was unbelievable. It was kind of weird because we got the tickets off the StubHub before the show. And then we got there and they're like, your tickets aren't scanning. And we're like, well, we just got them. And then they're like, oh, they were issued a refund. The person, the original purchaser of these tickets. And then there's like a bunch of rigmarole, but we ended up with like really nice seats. They're way in the front and everyone was wearing a mask. It was pretty cool. And Jim Gaffigan crushed it. He was uh, really, really funny. And that was like maybe my second or third time seeing him and never disappoint. So. That was really fun. That was Friday night. And then I was off Saturday and Sunday because me and my ignorant hardcore band, Hard Turf, recorded our EP in Ottville with our friend Stress the White Boy. And we laid down seven tracks of ignorant ass hardcore with, uh, you know, Jason Swisher singing and I was playing the bass. And it was really fun. It was a it was a wild experience recording with stress and um, hearing like you know how it is. You're in a band, you always practice in a practice space and all that stuff, and it's always loud, so you never really get a chance to hear the nuance of everything, especially like with the vocals. You know what I mean? Because they always come last, and like you know, typically you don't even hear what they sound like until you actually get a recording. Sure. So um, we laid everything down. Swisher only tracked two of the vo- two of the songs with his vocals, uh, with the plan to return later to finish the the rest of the ep or whatever and um overall it was really fun i'd never recorded like that before in like um just like a stress-free environment especially when the the recording engineers named stress it still was not very stressful um he's a a very very relaxed he's a relaxed gentleman who i like very much dude is awesome it was so much fun just hanging out with that dude and like his dogs he had two dogs that were in the studio and he was like Yo, man, it's like the Beatles. Like, if your energy's in the room, you get a producer credit. So these dogs are going to get producer credits for your record. And I was like, <laughs> yo, 100%. That needs to be reality. Like, they need to get the, the props. So... um But yeah, I felt really good about the recording and um, we're getting like preliminary uh, mixes together now and we're hearing them from stress and I think they sound pretty good. I I hope it's uh, I hope the thing I hope once it's finished, people will be into it. But you you can never tell in this day and age, you know what I'm saying, guys? Like, I don't know if people are going to like the shit that I'd be doing, but I'm doing the best that I can. So that's where I'm at. And then um, as far as uh, movies go, I watched a movie called Cured. Have you guys heard of this movie? It's a documentary. Uh, came out last year. Um, hmm. I think they screened it at Outfest. It is basically a documentary about having homosexuality removed as a diagnosis in the DSM four. Oh, and the, okay. it's about the road of, um, psychiatry and psychiatrists particularly that, um, wanted to work towards a more equitable, like definition of mental illness. And they felt that like, you know, homosexuality was in the DSM two. That's when it was introduced. And, uh, they're up to the DSM five now, I believe that's the diagnostic and statistical. Um, sure. Uh, I forget what the actual letters mean. It's like the (coughs) Bible for psych, right? It's like where all like the issues are listed and everything. And, um, yeah, I was talking it was a pretty interest it was an intense documentary for sure just because um like homosexuality wasn't removed from the DSM 4 until like 1993 or something oh, like that like oh, yeah oh. like very recently it was it was like really in depth and they talked about like just the, the distances that people had to go to get this removed as an actual psychiatric diagnosis. Yeah. So it was, it was a really interesting documentary. I don't, I'm not sure when it's going to get a wide release, but um, it's really, really, really good. And I would 100% advise people who have an interest in just, you know, mental health issues and um, the intersection between that and uh, you know, Liberty is civil liberties of, of, you know, underrepresented people like it's a pretty interesting cross-section and it was a really well-done documentary so Hmm. highly recommend Hmm. i'm
2: curious to see it i hadn't even heard of it before
0: oh yeah 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 it's called cured it's really really good cool and, um, and music, I'm still banging that, um, mutts nuts, man. Goddamn that yeah. Chubby and the Gang record has not left yeah. my ears since it came out. Also, uh, Laura Jane Grace put out a surprise EP called, uh, fighting the silverfish or something like that. And, sure. uh, Perry Shell did at war with the silverfish Perry Shell did the artwork for it, friend of the show, former guest. And, um if you like Laura Jane Grace and specifically her non against me stuff, you'll probably enjoy this. It's, it's different than, than the last, um, acoustic thing that she put out, but, uh, it's really good. And, uh, I think it's really fun to listen to. So awesome. So that's what I got.
2: Yep. Yeah. I know you're a big, I know you're a big fan too. So, uh, I am, up, I am so big up to Perry. We love him so much and I'm glad he gets yep. more, more and more opportunities to do art. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to, Talk about these movies. Justin, just a quick question. Why these movies in particular? You've, you've set a table for us. You've set a meal for us. Why <laughs> why these ingredients?
3: Um, well, I've been a little obsessed with Drive this year because it just got like a really nice Blu-ray release. Sure. And it's long been unavailable in its director's cut, which we now have on Blu-ray thanks to MVD Rewind. And I was trying to think of, like, what would pair well with that, and I went with another 1997 kind of Asian-influenced action movie. And, yeah, um, I guess we can kind of get into it.
2: Yeah, stoked. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about 1997's Drive and Double Team.
0: and we are here to discuss two 1997 features double team and drive picked by our guest Mr. Justin Lolopudi
2: Justin can you tell us a little bit about when you first saw drive and like how long you've been a i assume a fan of the film
3: Yeah so I saw it it's probably like 1998 or 1999 somewhere around there um I was I don't know 13 14 something like that. I was obsessed with, you know, just being in the video store and watching kind of any action movies that came my way and I had a big affinity for like buddy movies, which I still do. It's still like one of the, you know, when I when I do watch things for fun, I'm pretty drawn to buddy movies just like the dynamic of them. And Drive is a great one and it's one that I've I've held dear to me for a long time and it's never really gotten the recognition it's deserved. And I think now it's even harder to, because people just assume it's the Ryan Gosling movie. Right. And it's, (laughs) it's anything but that movie. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just this, this movie that I've liked for a long time. And I think now because of the Blu-ray people are finally seeing it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I had never even heard of it and I was, in 97 interested in this sort of brand of action slash kung fu related like this was right in my sweet spot and i watching it was like how did i miss this especially when i did not much research but a little research and realized this is from the director of the guyver come on yo I, we've talked uh, – well, there's two things about this film. Before we get into like what we each actually thought about, it, there's two things I want to specifically reference because they're not really about the movie, but they're important to the history of the show. One is we've talked about The Guyver on this show before. I've also talked about it on uh, my show with Doug Tilly. We've talked about it. The Guyver is like, not a great movie, but it had a big impact on me, and, and I just – It's just part of my history. The other thing is something we've talked about on this show a lot, Josh, is Mark Dacascos. Like that. Yeah.
0: Big fan. Filipino. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. right.
2: I mean, first of all, any Filipino on this show gets
0: hyped up. That's just the rule. Gets mad props 100%. Yeah. uh, You know, number two, come on. Only the strong. Yeah. One of the greatest movies about capoeira ever made. I think the only
2: <laughs> movie about capoeira ever made. But yeah, yeah, Genius. I love only the strong. I mean, so if, good. If you think I wasn't thinking about only the strong that one semester in grad school I took capoeira, <laughs> you are wrong. I was the whole time. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm fucking Mark Dacascos out here doing the thing,
0: <laughs> dude. The live action crying free man movie. Come on, yeah. Mark Dacascas. <laughs> I forgot all about that shit. <laughs> oh, man, it's so bad. It's so bad. But he's great in it.
2: Just saying. I, I just love him. Justin, are you a Mark Dacascas fan? Tell us about Mark
3: Dacascus in your life. Yeah, like, absolutely. And I think he's, you know, I, I, he now is just referred to, you know, because of Iron Chef a lot. I think that's what he gets recognized as. But. Even recently, I thought he was great in John Wick 3. Agreed. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Fucking – He still got it.
2: Stellar. Also, uh, people forget he was in Brotherhood of the Wolf. Come on. Yeah, which is Mm. great. Unbelievable movie. Like, Brotherhood of the Wolf was one of those movies that I had heard a little bit about. And then actually the first time I saw Josh was at one of those truck movie nights, which is often a bad time to first see a movie because it's like not a great movie environment. Uh, But (laughs) it was amazing. And I left being like, holy shit, that movie – it's just, it, you know, I don't know. I haven't watched it in a long time, so maybe it wouldn't have the same impact on me, but whatever. Point is, I fucking love Mark Dacascos. And I just think he, at the both at the time and now, doesn't get the respect he deserves, you know? And mm. I, I, we can get into now, like, what we thought. I mean, obviously, Justin, we're going to circle back to you and find out some of the things you love about this movie. But, Josh, I think you're a first-time watcher the same as me. Oh, Yeah. Tell it's me, great. this is the first time for you. What did you think about the movie about Mark Dacascos, about um, our man uh, uh, Kadim uh, Hardison, uh, who, by the way, I like. I I don't know how many things I've seen him in other than the TV show, right? Like he's
0: just someone in a who I world?
2: yeah. I don't know how much I know him from other than that. So it was really interesting for me to Death see him by in this.
0: temptation. Come
2: on. Fuck, you're right. I totally forgot about that. fight. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Thank you.
3: Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Is that it? oh yeah? Did Vinegar Central put that out?
3: Yeah. Yeah. We put the Blu-ray out.
2: Fuck. Side note, we don't have to focus on this, but we we mentioned a little bit beforehand. You you're the people you work for and with, Justin they put out too much stuff and I don't have the money for all of these things. Like I just don't. And I want to, but every drop I'm like, fuck, I want all of these things. God damn it. And I've, and I have sometimes it's not, I'm not above it, but I just don't, I can't, I can't do it all the time, but that is now on my list. Death by temptation. I need to, I need to pick it up because I love that movie. Okay. I'm sorry. I started this with a question to Josh. Josh, talk about this movie, how you felt about it on this first time. Watch.
0: First time. Watch this movie was super fun. Yep. Dude, it was just like, from Jump Street, as soon as we get into it, it's just manic, it's action-packed, it's <laughs> super ridiculous, and the kung fu is amazing in it, the karate's amazing in this movie. Ah, oh, man, Kadeem Hardison has that beautiful car that gets all wrecked up, and then the bad guy looks, God, he got a hat. Ah, oh, man, it's great. I fucking loved it, start to finish. <laughs> of the two, this was my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I mean- say. Double team, not so much. I'm going to be honest with you.
2: <laughs> well, well, we'll get in. Let's leave double team for when it's time for double team. But right, right, um, right, right. I this was the first time watch for me. And like I said, I had never even heard of it. Uh, same thing. And like at the time, I would have loved this without a doubt. Now I'm a little bit less stoked on this version of like 90s action just because I think I would rather be watching like – a Hong Kong movie from the late eighties, as opposed to the American movie. You know what I mean? Like that's just sort of where I'm at generally, but not so with this movie, this was so much fun. Um, I really liked both uh, Kadeem Hardison and Mark Takaskis. I liked uh, uh, John Piper Ferguson as the weirdo bad guy, dude, who by the way is probably the only person in this movie that has been in both drives 'Cause he's in in the <laughs> other drive too? Yeah, so he is. He is. Yeah, That's he, might funny. Be, he might be Dude, the only one. How
0: about how about fucking Malik from Conan the Destroyer in there?
2: Yeah, man.
0: Fuck. Like, oh shit, Malik. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it's was like it's Malik. But I was like, "Who's Malik?" I'm like, "Have you not seen Kona and the Destroyer?" And of course, she hasn't because you know she had friends. And it was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm the only person who gives a shit about Malik from Kona and the Destroyer.
2: Well, even though he's he's only on like a video phone, uh, James uh, Shigeta Shigeta. Shigeta I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, oh, yeah. he's sort of yeah, the yeah. villain, the villain of the film. Um, I, I you know I love his presence. I love. Just sort of the way he presents himself in this, Um, but of course I have Brittany Murphy in this. That's what I was about to say. Uh, Brittany Murphy, like I miss her a lot. Actually, Um, she was at the time very sort of like one of those uh, actors that I cared about, one of those female actors that I was really sort of invested in. And this was just a reminder that she was so charming. She's she just is someone who I I don't know. I don't want to focus on negative things, but I just I, I wish there was more of her. But I didn't know again. I didn't know anything. I didn't do anything beforehand because I wanted to be surprised by the whole thing. So when she showed up, I was like, "Holy fuck!" Like it was like, yeah, uh, not no, something. Blowing my mind to too. Happen. Justin, what I you know, we've already said this is a movie that you know you, you you care about a lot. What are some of the your favorite aspects of the film? Things that you think like still work for you now as much as they did in '98 or '99 when you first saw it.
3: So one thing that hasn't been brought up is Einstein frog, yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: which is like some shit out of it's Robocop so or something. Fucking it's crazy. so weird.
0: Oh my God. I what literally did about? not
2: know what to make of that. T- t- tell people for a few people listening who haven't seen it. What is Einstein frog, Justin?
3: It's like a TV show within the movie. That's, it's like something out of like a dystopian sci-fi thing. And I think the thing that drive, you know, has going for it that I don't think is up front and center when you're like looking at any kind of packaging for it or anything usually written about it is that it's very much a sci-fi movie.
1: Yeah.
3: It's, it's sort of like Hong Kong tinged buddy comedy action movie, but it's also a sci-fi movie. You know, Mark Dacascos plays this guy who's like cybernetically enhanced and there's like this weird sort of like future bent to it. That's, Almost like kind of like a demolition man, but it doesn't really, you know, influence the world at large as much because they had like a $3 million budget. And that's kind of left, you know, sort of behind the scenes. But there's like some of the weapons they use are clearly like future weapons and they have this like weird TV programming. And yeah, Einstein Frog is one of those things that like sets this apart from any other movie (laughs) like this at the time because it doesn't feel like it belongs. It's just like, what is this? We're in like a different territory now. And we're in the hands of the guy who gave us the guy. Well,
0: ex- <laughs> because, uh, well yeah. exactly. Exactly. The driver I, is great. I it's Fuck. I haven't seen it in so long.
2: But bro, I remember loving the shit out of it. I mean, I loved it too. I I can't say it's great, but it is it is great for I. It's it's hard to describe the feelings I had for The guyver just because it was so important to me at the time. Anyways, let's get back to this movie. I just want to say, Justin, your point about the weird futureness of it. I I mean, I understand that it's it's limited by its budget, so we're not going to get even if they wanted it like fucking floating cars or spaceships or something. But this kind of like near future where things are different enough that it's not now, but they're still kind of recognizable. I really love that. And I, and I agree that there's this show, it adds some sort of strange, like dystopian angle, like that this world is like kind of more fucked up than you realize. I I also kind of felt that way though. I guess it could exist. There was just something about the Apollo 14 club that I just was like, what the fuck is this i I, I, I loved it and uh, you know so 90s that it's like it's in the future and you know because this guy's in one of those weird suspension circles remember those things oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that that shot <laughs> he of gets the dude shot yeah when he's in that and then he gets caught in the crossfire I was like that has to be one of the more 90 th- 90s things I've seen in a movie in a long time because I remember those things and it was like every family fun center they're like don't you want us to strap you into this circle and spin you around that was a real thing like, for a while yeah
0: they had one at Exilarama at the Echelon Mall ah, I remember
2: like you,
0: fuck that thing you man. literally
2: reached right into my brain of the example I was thinking of the Exilarama <laughs> at the Echelon Mall a place where I played many hours of Alien versus Predator. In 1995 uh, to 1997. So good.
0: Street Fighter. Yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> that was my shit, Josh. When when the Echelon Mall had that uh, dollar theater. That's why. Oh, I was, yeah. That's why I saw The Crow in the theaters ten times because it was a dollar. Yeah,
0: that's that's where I got kicked out for sneaking in to see Pulp Fiction because it was rated R and I was not yet eight or seventeen or whatever the fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I bought a ticket for Don Juan DeMarco. And then they kicked me oh,
2: out they found sure, me. sure, 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 yeah, sure, sure, sure. Tried me and my friends, but we anyway. saw we saw The Crow a lot and because they played it forever. They played it for like almost two years. Uh, we also <laughs> saw Jurassic Park a lot when that came out. That was a that was a, so and, good and and then of uh, uh Billy Madison. It's so funny because I'm not even that big of an Adam Sandler fan, but it was like, yo, it's a dollar. Like I have a dollar, let's go watch Billy Madison again. Like it was just, <laughs> on the
0: big screen.
2: Yeah, why not? I don't know. So good. Yeah, so Anyways. perfect anyways, uh yeah, I just think uh the for me uh, the sci-fi angle of this thing that you pointed out, Justin is part of what makes it work uh in a way that like kind of keeps me like wrapped up in it like it's part of why I'm like a little more invested and it's not that I'm against you know, uh sort of buddy action movies per se, but that's a little less interesting to me than suddenly Mark Dacascus is like, I came here. I have a thing in my heart. It's like this adrenaline engine. It gives me basically fucking superpowers, right? Like he could just, uh, you know, fight forever. There's just, I don't know, something about it. Just like I was really into it from the beginning. It was crazy.
0: Yeah, it was so good. I mean, all the fight sequences are so well choreographed. And they do the thing where they put the powder in the fists so that when they hit, like the powder puffs out. I really, really love that. I love in the final fight sequence when the dude's sunglasses get broken in half. Ah, goddamn brilliant. When he hits him and then the, the like the dude standing there and then you just see the sunglasses break in the middle.
2: Yeah. What oh, we, my God. What do we what do we think of our uh, whip wielding villain? And, and uh, what do we think about the scene where he tries to whip Kadeem? Like, how how did we feel about that?
0: <laughs> it was pretty brutal, but I was in. I was in. I mean, what, is he going to not watch that part? Of course.
2: No, 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 I know. I just, it it was interesting because I was like, is this is this weird? Am I uncomfortable? I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know what to make of this. It's this but, weird. but he still beats him. I mean, he wins. I guess that's cool. And that I mean, I do kind of like that dude is like, why is this redneck even on the payroll of this company? Like, it, it's such a strange like, you're in America now. I have a duster on and a whip. But I, I but also like, I love that dude's performance. You know, like, it was, I don't know. It was kind of strange. It, it was in, what, its own so sort of thing.
0: How about the scene when they're going through the motel and they're looking for uh, Mark Dacascos and all that, and they they have the key, but they're still unlocking the door and then kicking the door in. Did you think <laughs> that was weird? Because I'm like, yeah, fuck motherfuckers got the key. Open the, the key. It's like, why the
3: hotel scene's amazing. It's, it's so good. It's, it's, it's the sewer so Dacascos fights with the shoes on his hands. Yes. Oh, yes. my God, dude. It's as so soon as he good. puts
0: the boots on his hands, my mind was blown. I was just like, oh, my sweet baby Jesus, this is the greatest action movie ever made. It was so much fun. Justin, did you feel like the
2: fighting, like specifically the martial arts in this as opposed to the action overall, that it was a little more uh, engaging than some of the other stuff that was going on in the 90s? Like, I I feel like there was a lot of movies where, in my memory at least – I thought they would have more interesting martial arts and then they end up being a little more of the traditional American action film. Whereas this film, I felt like a lot of the fighting was pretty good, like well choreographed, interesting stuff. Well executed at that
3: too. I mean, I think they knew that the audience for this was probably more in Asia. And in the US, this got dumped direct to video. So a lot of places Uh. this ended up just direct to video, but – Some of the Asian countries, it did play theatrically there. So I think they probably knew who their audience was. Sure. And that's kind of ultimately what they made. But at the same time, this was shortened pretty heavily. Which version did you guys watch? Because like on Tubi, it's streaming on Tubi, but that's the cut down version.
2: That's a good Um, question. I watched a version that a friend acquired for me. And I don't know what version it was.
3: So the the version that's on Blu-ray now is the two-hour like true version. Oh, yeah. So it's it wasn't it's two, two hours, hours long. The one that it has a watched. lot more exposition in it. It has way better music. And then oh, there's man. a version that was cut down by about like twenty, 20 or so minutes, yeah. and it takes out a lot of the you know story like plot beats. And then it has this like techno soundtrack over it.
2: Yeah, I think ours had more of the techno soundtrack. I think that's right. Now I got to get the Blu-ray, Justin. You're you're ruining my experience. (laughs) I need to know the full thing. What what would you say, as someone who's probably seen both versions, what would you say is the major stuff that we missed out on? Because it it wasn't bad as an hour and 40 minutes, but I, I do think maybe more exposition would have been more interesting.
3: It's really just like character moments and stuff that has to do with the story. Basically, things producers deem unnecessary in sure, an action right. movie. So it's, it's basically the stuff that you would, if you were trying to push your movie into a theater, you'd want to cut. But when you're doing direct-to-video, it almost doesn't even matter. So it's right. kind mm. of weird that they would even bother. But I guess that's how movies get distributed in the United States.
2: I guess so. I don't I, now. I'm bummed. I want to get that Blu-ray and and figure it out because, like I said, I just I knew uh, I didn't even know it was on Tubi. I just was like, hey, I I, I need to to see this. Now I, I I'm gonna put this out there. I've seen The Guyver now, and Giver Dark Hero. Uh, I've seen um, some of the episodes of Power Rangers that he directed, uh, but I haven't seen Kamen Rider Dragon Knight or um, Kung Fu Rascals. So I don't want to make a definitive claim here, but is it possible that drive is the best movie that, um, Steve Wang directed? Is that a possibility?
3: Probably. I mean, it's one of the best action movies I can think of of the nineties. So I'd be hard pressed <laughs> to think that he didn't anything better, but I do love the driver. So,
2: yeah, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I know I'm not being objective about the guy ever. there's someone listening to this right now going, I can't believe you guys like the guyver." but, but I do, <laughs> I do like, I just, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to speculate too hard, but you know, there's not a lot of other action films left other. Yeah. Uh, what we have mostly is TV because even the common rider dragon Knight* stuff is the television show. Uh, why do we think he didn't get to direct more movies or maybe he didn't want to, I don't know. But I, I, like you said, it was direct to video, but lots of people still had careers after direct to video. Like what happened to our
3: man here? Well, he ended up just doing a lot of special effects work. Like he's still working on movies. Like he did special effects for the most recent Bill and Ted movie, but before he directed, he did special effects for like Predator. He -hmm. did special effects for um, monster squad. Hell comes to Frogtown. Like yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Special effects for movies that we all love. So I think that's just been his passion. And when you when you look at The Giver, I mean, that's basically a special effects demo.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I agree. And some of these are like really interesting. Like you know, he's he worked on a movie that I don't think is that great, Rain of Fire, but he specifically did the sculpting sculpting on the dragon. Uh, uh, little the dragon, uh, I don't know what you'd say, like miniatures, and that's really interesting. Like, so it, a lot of this effects work is, is sort of diverse too, like creating characters, doing sculpture stuff. So, like, if uh, you know, I guess that's more where his passion was, but looking at his uh, special effects work, it's really interesting. Like, a lot of stuff that, oh, including one I grew up with that I've always had a, uh, unreasonable affection for spaced
1: invaders
2: (laughs) (laughs) the robert yurik movie is that the
0: one or no i'm thinking of ice pirates right
2: yeah you're thinking about no spaced invaders is uh the the bunch of aliens get stuck here and one of them has that weird hat that i always said looked like chris x's dread hat and that's why we always (laughs) called him spaced invader (laughs) Just saying. It's pretty good. I know. It's so funny. Um, okay, anything else? What else do we still need to talk about Drive other than, I mean, let's just say something I think it should be clear, but in case we haven't made it clear, you should find this Blu-ray. I have watched the shortened version of this film, and I'm still going to find the Blu-ray because I want to see the full two hours. That's how good I think this is. Um, and I think <laughs> all three of us are obviously endorsing this film. Is there anything else we want to discuss before we move on to our next movie here? Um I'm really curious how would you describe the the original soundtrack cuz I feel like if I was going to describe the one that me and Josh saw it's a little more abrasive at times which which I found charming mm. just because it felt very like 90s this like techno beat with weird guitar licks over it like there were definitely parts where it was like the beats like doing the thing and then the guitar's like Wa-da-da-da-da! and i'm just like all right i get it we're 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 in the future where all metal guitarists play in techno groups but but it was more that vibe justin what's the music like in the original that we missed out on
3: it's more just like kind of standard movie score music you know it's not as ridiculous (laughs) i guess (laughs) um i think it works better you know there's some of that music is still in the other cut, but there's just like, they basically, the producers probably heard that music and was like, do more of this and less of this. And then it all became one thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to point out one funny thing about the version we watched. I had the subtitles on um, just cause I didn't want it to be too loud. Cause uh, my daughter was sleeping. And when, uh, 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 Mark DeCosta's character says his name is Sam Ohung instead of it being Sam Ohung like the actor that he's making a reference to it just said Sam o apostrophe like his name was Irish and I was like
0: who did these fucking subtitles what the fuck That's amazing. It made, I mean it made Sam Ohung it. did the the action the stunt coordination for this movie though right? Like I think so. Is that was, true? Yeah. His name was on the credits. Yeah.
2: I love I love that he said when he said that they're like,
0: "Oh, I'm Sam Ohug." I was like, "Yes."
2: That's genius. Yeah, it's so good. Okay. Well, uh, we're all into this. Josh, I feel like you have a little bit of trepidation about our next movie. Yeah,
0: I didn't like it. I didn't like it. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: it was bad. It no, was really Oh gosh. Okay. Well, and I've seen it already is the thing. Uh, you know, Van Damme had that moment around 97 where everything that he was in was everywhere, you know, and this is, this was there too. And man, it was not good. Well, let's start with our guest here,
2: Justin, double team. You know, what do you love about the movie? What does it work for you now about the movie? Like, you know, how do you feel about it? And a, and a little bit, if you're willing to, about your your relationship with JCVD.
3: So, I mean, I'm a huge JCVD fan. For the Love record. that. Like, Love it. Love it. Huge JCVD fan. Everything from, you know, like his sort of goofy 80s stuff to his more, you know, kind of almost like borderline avant garde, like Universal yeah. Soldier entries from the 2000s, which I think are mm-hmm. like bona fide masterpieces. Like Universal Soldier. Um, day of reckoning and regeneration i think are probably the two best movies he's actually ever made and he did those in the 2000s so sure. i think mm-hmm. you know that's kind of the opposite of the majority of the the people he was making movies alongside in the 80s um he only mm-hmm. got better with age which i think is an anomaly for action stars yeah yeah so um sure. I, I have I mean, like I've a seen lot the of
0: retreat no surrender that movie sucks.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like he was in all these goofy movies alongside, you know, like Stallone and Dolph Lundgren and Schwarzenegger and like their acting chops never really got any better. They were clearly like playing a part. And Van Damme like never settled for that. And I think when you look at a movie like JCVD, it's very clear Mm -hmm. that he can act. And he also has like really good comic timing. I think he's like a great persona, but I think he's like a legitimately good actor. And I mean yeah. that's not something you see in Double Team, like for the record. <laughs> but I, I do think he's like a really interesting performer. And something about Double Team, you know, you look at his career trajectory and like he had all these like fight movies, movies that really emphasized his fighting, like kickboxer or blood sport, or you know, the quest. These movies mm. that are very traditional, just like tournament fighting movies. Right. Yeah. And then he got into stuff that was like a lot wilder. And you know, if you look at, kind, of, if we're doing these two movies or like Asian influenced American action movies and the clear, like precursor to all of this is John Wu's Hard Target, which right. of mm-hmm. course stars Van Damme and Van Damme had a very clear affinity for like, you know, Eastern cinema and he kind of made this happen. So like John Wu comes with Hard Target and then following that in 1996, you have Ringo Lamb comes to America with Maximum Risk, which is Sony? Sony produced Maximum Risk, and then Sony does this like two-off Van Dam Choy Hawk thing with Double Team in 1997, and then in 1998 they do Knockoff. And it's clear that they think there's money in this because John Wu has been, you know, making money. Like he made a ton of money with Hard Target. Broken Arrow was huge. 1997 also sees. John Woo doing Face Off, which is the same year as Drive and Double Team, so there's clearly like this very big kind of Asian influence happening in Hollywood, to the tune that Sony are like, "Hey, let's give Double Team this movie starring Jean Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman a thirty million dollar budget and make it this like (laughs) wide release movie," which is kind of a weird thing in like hindsight. Like you have this basketball player and this, you know, Van Damme wasn't exactly like a hot ticket by this point in the nineties. Like he was still popular, but he wasn't like a Schwarzenegger, you know, he didn't have like a true lies in the middle mm. of the decade. Like his biggest movie around that time was probably you know, sudden death or something. And these were pretty small movies compared to what Stallone or Schwarzenegger were doing. So it's a pretty weird move for a studio to kind of be, to have a lot of faith in what they were doing with double team. And they even like this, the original script for double team got optioned for over a million dollars, which is crazy when you like see what this movie's about. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's weird that, you know, the studio had this kind of faith in it, but the movie, the reason I like this movie is kind of like drive where it's a buddy movie on the surface. You know, you look at this movie and it's just like a mismatched kind of buddy movie, but it's also this like really weird espionage movie with like, you know, kind of James Bond gadgets. And then there's a prison break kind of with this like, you know, weird (laughs) Island thing that they get set in. And then there's all the stuff in the Coliseum with Mickey Rourke. It's like five movies in one. And I think it, you know, that might be something that hurts it, but I like it.
0: Even the whole like, like carnival part when they're, everyone's getting shot and Mickey Rourke's kid gets killed. Like what the hell am I even looking at?
3: Yeah, it's 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 just a ton of different movies. Yeah. But also, that kind of speaks to the Hong Kong influence. I mean, you look at a lot of the movies that this is kind of building off of, from, you know, even starting in like the 70s, the 80s, and even, you know, John Woo's Hong Kong movies, they're all like all over the place, you know, and they have these like different Mm -hmm. set pieces that don't necessarily tie into each other. And I think that's what makes Double Team and especially Knockoff the next year really feel like movies that like were just plucked out of Hong Kong and given like a, an American box office star and thrown into American theaters. And then they didn't resonate. You know, it's double team was a box office disaster. Knockoff was a disaster too. They both only made like 10, 11 million dollars. They didn't do well. I mean, double team opened the same weekend as that Val Kilmer movie, the saint. And that did almost oh, yeah. double the box office of it, which is, I mean, nobody cares about the saint now. Right, I guess you could say nobody
2: cares about yeah. Double Team now except for me, so I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I think you're right, actually, that one of the things I find charming about those Hong Kong movies is how all over the place they are, and, and, and they don't follow a lot of the assumptions I think people make about, you know, that, that a narrative has to have only one direction. I, I feel like there's a lot of Hong Kong movies I've watched where sometimes I'm being introduced to characters, and I don't know why and i don't find out why for a real long fucking time but i'm still supposed to be invested in whatever their plot is before it like comes into the the main part of the story uh but for me i i guess it's it might be because of not finding Jon Claeven them very compelling that i don't feel wrapped up in this movie at all it might also be dennis rodman who like is really bad i don't know yeah i don't know justin i i I could see liking jcvd but but are you a fan of rodman in this film i just feel like his performance is unbelievable it's to the level where i can't imagine someone on set being able to hold a straight face like yeah you got it you nailed it man that was it you did the scene we're good that was a good performance, and you're you're worth the money that we're paying you for this thing. Like, you totally nailed it. Like, my man fucking blo- – like, 100% I would be better in this role than Dennis Rodman, you know? Like, you could just yeah. put me there. Don't even give me the fucking script, and I'll nail it harder than Rodman does. Like, it's, it's just <laughs> – it's just such a bummer because, like, again, I don't love JCVD, but I certainly don't think I've seen anything where I think he's, like – Distracting me from the movie with his fucking performance. I don't love him as a actor or even as a martial artist, but I don't think like, oh fuck, he's totally ruining this whole thing. That's just, that's never happened. <laughs> I'm just not a fan. Robin, I'm like every scene he's in. I'm like, what is he fucking doing right now? You know? Yeah. Me, me every th-
0: single time.
2: <laughs> it's weird. It's just was really weird. I was really thinking like, Man, I mean, that- just
0: the suit and the fedora for the last for the third act of the movie like
2: bro really <laughs> like
0: what's well, his happening hair
3: color here all...
2: yeah yeah also Just, so yeah. changes
3: like a dozen times in a yeah day. i mean uh, also when did he keep find mind, time to was, dye his hair
0: this is like carmen electra era dennis rodman too right like this is like when he was like in this weird mix of like celebrity and sports and i mean i guess that's how you end up in a movie with jcvd in 1997 but wow what a turn eh yeah, I I, I will
2: say I don't actually mind the Mickey Roar performance in this. I think he's pretty good, actually. I, at least I, uh, watching it, I wasn't distracted by him. I thought it was pretty fun. One of the things I found more like – I think some of the editing in this movie is kind of crazy. And maybe that's just a 1997 thing. But watching it now, I just was like – it, it all felt a little frenetic for me. That's Um, a
3: Troy Hawk thing. That's like his thing. I mean, that's knockoff is edited the same way. And if you go to some of his Chinese movies, they're also very similar. Even once upon a time in China,
0: continuity issues in this movie though. Like there's, there's just a bunch of like weird things that happen. Like there's shoes on people, then they're not shoes. You know what I mean? Like just like things like this, there's a bunch of those weird continuity, like things in this movie that I just kept on picking up on as the movie was playing. I'm like, Oh, that's weird.
2: That's interesting. I didn't notice any of that. I was I was just more I really wanted there to be so even though I don't love JCVD, there's usually a couple of sequences in some of his movies, especially something like Hard Target where I'm like, "Oh, well this is fun." I I don't love him as an actor, but I'm having fun. I think this is like a fun action set piece. I didn't feel that way about anything in this movie. Like there was nothing that mm-hmm. like I really was on board with. Uh Josh, was there any sort of action set pieces that you were into regardless about how you felt about the rest of the film.
0: I mean, there's like the whole movie has these like action set pieces that are fine. Right. Like I enjoyed them, but then like Mm. the CG of 1997 inter interjects and it just takes you right out of it. You know Uh, what I mean? Like the whole Coke machine bit
3: at the end. (laughs) (laughs) The the first movie with Coke machines in it.
2: Was is that true? Really? It's
3: like a sort of weird statistic thing. It was like the first movie to like have coke machines or something. Yeah. 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 So that's why they're they're like really like prominently on display in the end.
0: (laughs) So funny. So just yeah, that whole sequence. I would have been there for it, but then like the weird fire CG and then the smoke CG at the end, even though we can say that this is like the smoke bomb of my my you know sign off. Sure. Right, right, right. Pretty funny.
2: Yeah, I uh I uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I <laughs> it's interesting. I just I was thinking about when you were talking about JCVD and it is true that some of his more recent stuff is kind of interesting and and I, and I I have to agree with you that I I don't know. I don't think it would be fair for people to say that he can't act at all regardless of how they feel about some of his movies, but I I don't know. There's just so much. Do you find that you're finding something in some of his like uh let's say mid-career movies that are less uh sort of respected there's still stuff there that you enjoy about him in them is he do you find him compelling outside of some of the obvious stuff like uh, I think a lot of people love early career like I know a lot of people who would swear by kickboxer blood sport hard Target all that kind of stuff time cop <laughs> uh <laughs> That my my first experience with him. Uh, and then a lot of people who do like his more recent, you know, stuff. How do you feel about that mid-career stuff? Is there still stuff you would pick out that you're like, oh he's this is really good and he's good in it?
3: I mean, I don't know. I, I also grew up with his movies. So I have like sure. a very firm nostalgic attachment to them. Just like yeah. in watching them, you know, repeatedly, like I wore yeah. out like a time Cop VHS or like double impact. Like these are movies that were like super formative for me. So I mean, I'll always kind of have an appreciation for them, probably beyond the level I should. Same for like Steven Seagal movies. I mean, this is the kind of shit mm-hmm. that I just like became a movie fan off of. So I, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to say, but I'd be hard pressed to say he like is a good actor back then. I think he really kind of came into his own acting wise probably going sure. into the 2000s. Actually. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because you you look at his trajectory and it's, you know, you had Double Team in 97, Knockoff in 98, and then in 99 you had Universal Soldier the Return. And after that, he really wasn't doing theatrical work. It was almost all direct to video. And I feel like he didn't, you know, kind of find his footing or was at least able to actually try and act until he went DTV. And huh. I think that hmm. speaks a lot for like, you know, kind of what studios want out of these. And like th- there's something to be said for, you know, these sort of like the beefcake action stars of the 80s, like the Reagan era kind of you know, machismo actors not really yeah. trying to act. Like no, They didn't yeah. need to. It wasn't a part of the job. Yeah. So it makes sense. But maybe it's like once you're at, in a space where that doesn't matter anymore and you're not, you know, tens of millions to- of dollars aren't on the line, like you can actually take a risk. And I feel like he started doing that. And then he also started working in Europe. And I think that's where he started getting the freedom to kind of flex his actual acting muscles and not just Mm. his physical muscles so much.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think this, a little bit of the JCVD thing, as you were describing sort of that nostalgia for him and for Steven Seagal, I think it's a little bit of an, of an age thing. Like when I, I, you know, I'm just a teeny bit older than you are. And I think I missed that wave. Like I'm sure there's stuff from the, Eighties that I'm nostalgic about because I grew up with it, but like in you know i i nineteen ninety seven was when I was first like getting into martial arts films, and in fact, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast before, but me and Josh's mutual friend richie Roja like 1998 was when he blew my mind being like, Oh, <laughs> you haven't seen a John Woo film. Well, we're going to go to a screening of a John Woo film, you know, and it was on the campus of the college we went to. And that started a whole fucking road for me, you know, that like, you know, I, I guess I'm still on in a lot of ways. Cause I'm no expert on Hong Kong or martial arts or any of that stuff, but there's a lot I have, I have managed to see. So I think I sort of missed the wave on, on that, on, on those two dudes specifically, though I, I will say I have a ton more, more affection for JCVD than I do uh, 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 Steven Seagal. But that's, you know, that's a whole personal. Steven Seagal's because. Well, I mean, yeah, Seagal's
3: like a shithead in real life. He's he's, he's, he's an absolute terrible person. But yeah, I I grew up with like Under Siege, which I still have an an affection for. but, But yeah, I would never want to meet him.
2: The only thing for me that I think is hard with these two movies is that um, I wish – I just think there's a bit more of a, uh affection for the classics uh, of uh, JCVD, and here the same year as this movie coming out, Drive, that for me, like, Mark Dacoska should have been big. And that's not – I'm not yeah. blaming this movie or JCVD for that, but watching these two movies, I just thought – God damn! Like we did not do right by Mark Dacascus That's just my fucking cross to bear, and I'm gonna keep saying it. And and you know, <laughs> he's getting some now, right? He he, you know, John Wick is not a small movie for him to be featured in, and his performance no. was sick. But I just don't know that he ever got what I felt like he deserved, at least as an action star. But I also think as an actor, you know. So, uh, but on the other hand, like, you know, I. I, I I get that he didn't have the opportunities to be in movies, some movies that are considered iconic, the way that, you know, I know people who like it, it's telling that when I look on IMDb, uh, JCVD's picture from Hard Target is what is his IMDb picture you know what i mean like that's i think a lot of people like that had a that was a big time movie for a lot of people i think i mean that's the vibe i get from mm. from folks uh and i remember i mean just the part where he punches the snake alone is like fucking iconic so, <laughs> iconic
0: I, I i mean it
2: is <laughs> he punches the snake and sells it i don't know i don't, I don't know anyway <laughs> uh anything else we want to talk about with with this movie that we m- might have missed that's
0: worth highlighting no nah, man. I think all has been said about double team, that can be.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I will say it sounds like not a lot of people have seen double team. And and meanwhile, I know a lot of folks who have uh, returned to the JCVD output. I'll be honest. I, I still will take hard target over this. Uh, but I don't think it's. I, I think it's worth checking out, even though I did not think it was great. Um, it, it, not just because I think you know JCVD is doing his thing here, but um, I just want more people to see this Rodman performance and just try to understand the cultural <laughs> phenomena that was Dennis Rodman. Like he was a draw, I'm sure. Like. People yeah. cared about him and like he played basketball and he got piercings and then eventually he went to go to North Korea. Like, I don't know <laughs> why he was so important to the culture, but he like was. He really was. He was like a yeah. a thing people cared about, you know? So I don't know. I just find that interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, oh, and I'll also <laughs> mention I just like Mickey Rourke. So uh, I think that's yeah. also something I appreciate uh, about this film as well. All right. Well, hey. Uh Justin, thanks for coming on the show, man. And for like 100%, thanks for introducing us to these movies, man. Well, I mean, to Drive, to Drive. <laughs> I'm glad I got to see I'm glad I got to see both movies, but definitely Drive is like a movie that's going on my list and Bro, like yeah. this is now one of many movies that you have brought into my life and I'm sure other people listening will say the same. So I just want to say mad respect and thank you for being someone who is introducing people to cinema all the time. I think it's one of the the things about you that I very much admire and think is amazing and like just respect a lot that that's part of who you are.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I don't really know how to be anything else. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that I love that uh before we wrap up here is there anything specific other than you know people should check out ocN and vinegar syndrome is there anything else you want to plug uh if there's socials or anything like that this is this is your chance to hype yourself up buddy
3: um no I think you know it's you know buy stuff from vinegar syndrome if, if you're inclined I'm teaching uh, I'm instructing like an online course with Miss Institute December 13th can find out information on on their channels about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: otherwise, I mean, I'm on Twitter. You probably know how to find me. It's just J L A L I B S. And yeah, I mean, that's wow. pretty much it. I'm around. I'm easy Yo, to contact.
2: I wanna I wanna hype up that Miskatonic thing too. Like I've gone to those before. Uh, uh, me and uh, my other co-host Justin Lore have been to the uh, a few of the events in Brooklyn. We got to see some just awesome folks speak, and I know that one of the people who works with that is a friend of the show, Joe Yannick, so shout out to Joe, we love you Uh, yeah, I think not only should people check out yours, which sounds awesome but check out Miskatonic, you know they're doing stuff online right now I'm sure if this fucking pandemic ever ends, they'll do stuff in person, I think they mostly do New York and London, Uh, so uh, we don't have a ton of listeners in London but we have a couple, Uh, if they they, you know, everyone should check out online stuff if they come back in person do that too i remember going to a few of their events and these are amazing speakers in a room that is like not that packed out and i think they really are offering just some really awesome educational opportunities around horror genre there's you know they've had authors and directors and just a, like a an interesting variety of presenters over the years so check check them out i i respect that a lot uh all right well we're done uh josh how how should they keep up with us
0: follow us on the socials at T I N E P U N X, and uh you know just uh yeah do that rate rate, rate, review subscribe yeah yeah and uh you know tell a friend man yeah let people know you dig our show
2: yeah. Also, check out the other shows. I mentioned Twitch of the Death Nerve, but there's a whole lot of shows on the network that are doing great things. Check them out. Shoot them messages. Follow them on socials. Uh, and, you know, check out some of the writing, too. There's there's interesting stuff coming up. Oh, is worth plugging. Coming up is Cineween, where we spend all of October celebrating the spooky, the weird, the creepy, whatever it is. Uh, keep an eye on the site there should be a lot of writing hopefully some videos I assume Josh and Sharky are working on a cool video that'll be neat we are, um, we are. Uh, but also like, if you're someone who's looking for a venue to write uh, we don't have any money, but we'd love to feature you and hype you up. And, you know, hopefully you can use that as a as a venue to go somewhere and get actual money because you should get paid for writing stuff. So, uh, <laughs> you know, hit us up. We're always CinePunks at Gmail. Uh, and, you know, we appreciate you paying attention, checking it out. Justin, thanks for being a guest. We really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I guess we're done here. Have a
0: good evening. Thanks for listening. Smoke bomb do you like spooky movies hair raising tales
3: insightful criticism judgmental hot takes then you're gonna love car business the horror podcast and the cinepunks podcast network dedicated to all things weird and spooky my name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not so favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great.
2: <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if
3: we have to suffer through it, so do you.
2: Horror Business, available
1: anywhere you find fine podcast products. <laughs>